Good morning. So you may not know, but I have five and seven-year-old sons at home right now, so I'm beginning to field lots of questions around the topic of what do I want to be when I grow up? Can I be a ninja? Can I be a wizard? Etc. And it's made me reminiscent of how I used to answer this question for myself, my childhood plans for my life. And let me tell you, I had some good ones. At various points, I wanted to be a marine biologist, an artist, and a neurosurgeon. Naturally, right? Because what eight-year-old girl doesn't want to be a neurosurgeon? But really, the common denominator for my vocational aspirations was that they sounded exciting to me. I knew very little about any of these disciplines and what work they actually entailed, but they seemed important and maybe a little adventurous. I was a dreamer. But I was also a good Southern Baptist girl, so I can tell you with certainty that growing up to become a priest was nowhere on my list, not even close. Missionary, yes, and that's what eventually stuck, and that was my plan all the way through to seminary. But priest, or even pastor, definitely not. Now, interestingly, also on my definitely not list was being a pastor's wife. I guess I determined I could be a missionary's wife because, again, that sounded exciting somehow. You know, at least there would be some travel involved. But being married to a pastor just sounded so boring. And if you know my story, you know the irony of this because I am now both a pastor and a pastor's wife because I married a priest. And actually, we were ordained on the same day, which was really cool. And it turns out that our life in ministry has been really the opposite of what I expected. It's been wonderful. It's been hard at times, for sure, but it has not for a day been boring. Turns out I was wrong about a few things. Here are some other things I was wrong about, some things that I vowed in my ignorance would never happen to me. After leaving my hometown of Greenville, South Carolina, after high school, I was pretty confident that I would never again live in the South. Again, the irony, because here I am. But also, when we did move back to Greenville in 2019 and bought a house 10 minutes from where most of my family lives, I was pretty confident that we'd never leave again. And in three days, we're packing up our house and moving somewhere new again. You've probably noticed the tears. Y'all knew this was going to be hard for me. There's always sadness when there is change. But I really am somehow okay with this plan, this new plan that was not my plan, because I really do sense this is the Lord's calling to us. I have peace. And in the last few months, I've come to realize that peace is worth a lot more than understanding. And as I've prayed about what I want to share in my last sermon as your pastor, I wanted to reflect a bit more on this theme of unfulfilled plans. The things that we think will happen in our lives but don't. Or perhaps the things we expect will never happen but do. Because I think we all have our own versions of this, right? We all have a script in mind for our stories in one form or another. We all have aspirations. Plans to get married or not. Plans to succeed in a certain career or not. Plans to have calm, obedient children. Plans to never lose a family member. Plans to never break your promises. Plans to stay healthy. And really, this isn't a bad thing. It's very natural to imagine and anticipate and hope for the future. 
The problem is that we are limited in our ability to perceive or even to execute on what is best for us. So our plans fail us, and we fail them. But what I don't want to say this morning is something overly simplistic and cheerful, like follow Jesus and he'll give you something better than you've planned. There's truth in that, but it doesn't account for the whole truth, does it? It doesn't account for the grief that rightly accompanies loss or disappointment or failure. What's more, it doesn't account for the cruciformity of our call, which Jesus made very clear in the Gospels. Up front, he said, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. So whatever we say about following Jesus, it has to be inclusive of this radical call to self-denial to which he calls us, which, let's be honest, that's in none of our plans, right? No, nobody aspires to hand over their hopes and dreams to someone else. But what I do want to say to you this morning is this. Even though following Jesus comes with no guarantees about meeting your goals for your life, even though it might mean, in fact, the very opposite, today's gospel reading shows us that following Jesus might mean going to the very places you don't want to go. Even though that is the case, what I want you to hear this morning is that you can trust him. He's worth it. And actually, he does have something better planned for you, something that Ephesians 3 describes as being beyond what we could ask or even imagine. And because of that, because God's dream for us and for the world are beyond our ability to understand or attain, our journey begins and ends with trust. So that's where we're headed. And we're going to be looking at John 21, which is a beautiful, intimate conversation between Jesus and someone that he loves about these very things. Now it begins, just to set the stage for you, a few days after Jesus' resurrection. We have Peter, which was Jesus' lead disciple, his number one. He's out fishing. And suddenly Jesus appears to him on the shore. And Peter is so excited to see Jesus that verse 7 says he threw himself into the sea to get to Jesus before the other disciples do. So Peter's clearly eager to see Jesus. But there's also something unresolved between Peter and his Lord, a kind of elephant in the room that if we were following the passion narratives closely, we'd be painfully aware of by this point. So let me remind you. The last conversation that Peter and Jesus had was before Jesus died. And Peter had made Jesus a promise. John 13, 36, Peter said to Jesus, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. And Jesus answered, will you lay down your life for me, Peter? Truly I say to you, the rooster will not crow till you have denied me three times. And sure enough, despite Peter's big promise, despite his plans to be faithful to Jesus, Peter gave way to fear. And once Jesus had been taken by the authorities, Peter chose to preserve his own life by denying he even knew Jesus. Three times he did this. And the Gospels tell us that after he abandoned Jesus in this way, a rooster did crow, just as Jesus predicted, and that Peter was filled with shame upon the realization, and that he went out and wept bitterly. So the first unfulfilled plans we find in this story are Peter's own plans, that he failed to live up to. 
He wanted to be faithful to Jesus. He wanted to be brave and devoted to the end, but he fell short. He fell massively short. Maybe you relate to that. Maybe you have fallen short in one way or another of your intentions for your life. Maybe your actions haven't matched your aspirations or your promises to God or others. Maybe you have wept bitterly over choices you've made that you regret. Maybe, like Peter, you wonder sometimes if your history can ever be fully overcome. We don't know what exactly Peter is thinking or feeling as he stands before Jesus on the shore, but Jesus knows, and Jesus speaks right to it. He addresses Peter's failure directly, not by shaming him, not by demanding an apology, but by asking him a question. Do you love me? What's Jesus doing here? He's giving Peter what we call in my house a do-over. When a child or even a parent says something rude or disrespectful, we say, oh, let's try a do-over. Would you like to say that again with respectful words? Peter failed to show respect and devotion to Jesus in his moment of trial. So here in his moment of vindication, Jesus gives Peter another chance. Not once, not twice, but three times. Three denials, three questions. Peter, do you love me? This is what Jesus does for us in our failure. He doesn't ignore it, but he also doesn't disqualify us for it. Rather, Jesus revisits our failure to infuse it with grace. He reinterprets even our most shameful memories by healing them with his presence and with the invitation to follow him, failures though we might be. This is exactly what he does for Peter. In his threefold question, he reminds Peter of his threefold denial. As if by asking him, do you love me, Jesus is really saying, Peter, did you fail me? Yes, you did. But still, I am calling you. Feed my lambs. Friends, you will never be disqualified from the invitation to follow Jesus. No matter where your story has taken you, no matter what choices you have made up to this point, the offer still stands. Right here, right now, you can say yes to him. I'm not just talking about becoming a Christian, although, of course, that's in view here as well. But I'm talking about responding to Jesus in ways that you have failed to in the past, or in areas of your life that you've avoided, or maybe in answering a call that you feel unworthy of. Do you think Peter felt worthy to lead the church after denying Jesus three times? Probably not. And that's probably why Jesus had to tell him three times, Peter, feed my lambs. Yes, you failed me, but I'm still calling you. I'm still choosing you. So stop feeling sorry for yourself and get to work. So now let's assume, for the sake of the argument, that this conversation with Peter has gotten him back online. His failure has been addressed. His clear call to ministry has been reestablished. Oh, and by the way, Jesus is back from the dead. Things are starting to look up again. You can sort of feel the enthusiasm rising here. But then Jesus says this in verse 18. 
Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands, and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. Here we find the second set of plans in this story. Jesus' plans for Peter, which we learn aren't going to feel very good. The Lord has chosen a difficult path for his lead disciple. One day, he says, another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. In other words, Peter's going to be martyred for his faith. And I think on the face of it, we can understand why this would be hard to hear. I mean, who wants to be told they're going to die? But I think there's also a deeper reason, more personal to Peter, that made these words of Jesus difficult. Because Peter had already promised to die for Jesus, but then later he chickened out. He knew from experience that when faced with death, he was more likely to cut and run than he was to be faithful. In other words, Peter already knows that a martyr's death is actually his worst fear. And Jesus says, that's exactly what I'm calling you to. Follow me. And Peter, I love him because he's so honest, right? He does what's very natural to do when we're being asked to do something hard. He starts comparing his circumstances to someone else. Verse 20, Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them. And in verse 21, Peter said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? You're asking me to die, but what about him? Or more pointedly, are you being fair? Have I drawn the short straw here, Jesus? When God asks hard things of us, it's very tempting to wonder, what is he asking of the other guy? Especially when we think the other guy might be getting off too easy. Again, this is natural. When life doesn't align with our circumstances, with our expectations, we usually have a million questions for God. Why does it have to be this way? What are you doing? What does this mean? What's going to happen next, Lord? But here's where the trust comes in, because Jesus doesn't answer all of our questions. He doesn't always explain things, at least not to our satisfaction. Not even for his lead disciple, whom he's just called to die a martyr's death. You think if anybody would get thrown a bone, it would be this guy. But how does he respond to Peter? Verse 22, Jesus says, If it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. Friends, following Jesus is not a formula for getting everything you want in life. It's not even a formula for getting all the answers that you want. Following Jesus is an invitation to trust, to be led, sometimes by the hand, in the dark, toward what you imagine to be your greatest fear, without explanation. Sometimes following Jesus means to cry out for more information, and only you hear in response follow me. And here's why I find Peter's story so hopeful for us. At the sound of Jesus' voice, in the presence of his resurrected body, Peter heard not only a call, but a promise. In naming Peter's greatest fear, he heard Jesus say, Peter, when you are old, you will stretch out your hands, and another will carry you where you do not want to go. It's as if Jesus is saying, Peter, because of me, 
because I have visited you in your failure and have shared my resurrection life with you, the next time you are faced with death, you will be faithful. You will not run away again. The New Testament doesn't tell us this, but it's widely believed that Peter was martyred by crucifixion, but that he claimed to be unworthy even to die in the same manner as his Lord. And so he asked to be crucified upside down. St. Augustine said that Peter would do, when strengthened by Jesus' resurrection, what in his weakness he had promised prematurely. In other words, because of Jesus, Peter was ultimately transformed. Because of Jesus, Peter's greatest fear became for him a privilege to give his life for his Lord. And this is what I mean when I say Jesus is worth it. Because when you follow him, your plans and even your fears begin to pale in comparison to him. And over time, just as Peter did, you find yourself strangely willing to stretch out your hands and be carried where you do not want to go. The life he is calling you to live might seem absurd to you. It might seem like the last thing you would ever choose for yourself. It might seem like a cross. But what Peter's life tells us is that you can trust Jesus. You can trust that he will give you what you need to be faithful and that in the end, you will not regret a minute of it. And there's one more thing from our gospel story that I want to reflect on before we turn to Peter's own words. We've seen that Peter was called to die a martyr's death, right? But think about for a minute the fact that this call came from the mouth of the resurrected Christ. And this fact, I think, the living, breathing, scarred body of Jesus, perhaps more than anything else, reframed Peter's understanding of his own future. What do I mean by that? I mean, it's a lot easier to die for the person who has defeated death, don't you think? It's easier to take up your cross when you know that resurrection is on the other side of it. And ultimately, this is the better thing that Jesus has planned for us. This is the something that's more than we could ask or even imagine. It's not just a different or better set of circumstances. It's not just a new situation. It's new creation. New hearts, new minds, and yes, even new bodies forever. So when Jesus calls you to what feels like death, remember that in him, death is just the prelude. It may not make sense to you right now. It may not feel like a very satisfying story right now, but friends, the story isn't over yet, and we already know how it ends. Our job is to trust him in the meantime, when we don't have all the information that we want. Now, how do we do that? Well, I'm still learning this too, so I'm going to let Peter do the rest of the talking. These are some parting words from 1 Peter 5 about how to trust Jesus in the middle of this journey when we're bewildered and confused. And Peter was very kind to give us three simple directives. So if you've been waiting for the three points, congratulations, you made it. Here they are. Humble yourself, give your anxiety to God, and resist the devil. So briefly, in turn, first humble yourself. This is 1 Peter 5, starting in verse 6. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you. 
Let's not pretend it's easy to be led. Let's not pretend it's easy to trust when your plans are dashed or when his plans are unexplained. This is very humbling work. So give yourselves to it. I came across a Dallas Willard quote this week that said, I'm practicing the discipline of not having to have the last word. Challenging. Challenging not to have the last word in our stories or our relationships or even our futures. Challenging but good because Christ has already spoken a better word and it is a word that will not put you to shame. So humble yourself under his mighty hand. Second, give your anxiety to God. This is the end of verse six. Humble yourselves before God, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. So trusting Jesus isn't easy, but he knows it, and he cares for you. So if you're anxious about your circumstances, about what he has asked of you, or maybe even what you fear he might ask of you, you can be honest with him about that. He may ask hard things of you, but he will never ask you to pretend that you're fine. He invites you to cast your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Third, resist the devil. This is verse eight. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brothers throughout the world. This part I find strangely encouraging because Peter reminds us, you know, following Jesus is hard, but it's not just hard because we're sinful and weak. It's hard because we have an enemy who hates us. And then I love what he does next because he flips his own question for Jesus upside down when he says, remember that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brothers throughout the world. So don't compare yourself to anyone else. Don't say, what about him, Lord? But also, don't believe the lie that you're alone in this. Because if there's one thing Satan wants you to think, it's that you're alone. And you're not. You're not having a hard time with this because there's something uniquely wrong with you. You're having a hard time because this is hard. But, and I'll close with this, following Jesus is hard. But verse 10, after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ. This is my benediction for you. God himself will restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. That is his plan for you. The question is, do you trust him? Let me pray. Lord, thank you for this beautiful, beautiful story that you are telling through history. Thank you for entering into the story yourself and living it first and coming out on the other side to show us that there is nothing to be afraid of, that every promise is yes and amen in you. And thank you also for sending your spirit to strengthen us, to give us the courage to say yes, even in the middle of this story. We thank you and we love you, Lord. Amen.